Hello and welcome to this week's Raw podcast, um, brought to you by the Sun and Echo SFC team. Uh, Richard Manea here, and I am joined by Mark Donnelly and James Copley this week to talk all things Sunland after the, uh, the draw with Bristol Rovers last weekend and ahead of the trip to Oxford United this weekend. Um, Phil Smith's busy chatting to Bill Parkinson at the Academy of Light ahead of the game. Um, so we'll have the latest team transfer and takeover news um, on the um, Summer Deco over the coming days from that, so keep an eye out. Um, let's kick off then with the start of the season proper last week. Obviously, we had a couple of cup games in the week or so before that, uh, but someone started their League One promotion campaign, we hope. Um, sadly, by dropping points at home and another one-all draw, um, a result that some of the fans are more than familiar with during the Kenyatta League One, um, got off the worst possible start after seconds. At uh, Stadium Light, obviously behind closed doors, um, sort of a Lee Burge blunder, um, conceding the penalty, and Rovers taking the lead after just 90 seconds. Obviously, then Sunland after that, um, took them probably half an hour or so to settle. They were really nervous defensively. Um, every ball that came in the box looked a threat, and as I say, it wasn't kind of until 10 15 minutes before the half time whistle that they kind of had a bit of a foothold in the game. and Second half was was much better, although the bar was low. Um, and obviously Chris McGuire securing a point with a, a fine finish uh, from outside the area and could have snatched it. Max Power had a late chance, but I guess overall the point was probably a fair result. Um, you look at results elsewhere, it means it probably wasn't the worst start, but two points dropped, poor start. Lee Burge already under pressure after replacing John McLaughlin. Probably not the best um not the best start of the season and um some question marks over the team selection as well in terms of um George Dobson starting over Josh Gowan. But um Mark, you were at the game, what were your reflections on the one I'll draw with Bristol Rovers? I think more than anything it was just a really kind of underwhelming start to the season. I think after the performance against Hull, albeit obviously the defeat on penalties, I think the performance against Hull was it was a very good one and we've seen in the couple of results they've got since that game that Hull are uh, not to be taken lightly this year and have started off really strongly. So to put in that performance against a team who may well be be there or thereabouts come May was promising. And then the Aston Villa game, you know, you can say what you like about the competition and, and the quality of the opposition, but to score eight goals in any game in any competition is going to be a real confidence booster. So I think expectations were, were quite high going in that Bristol Rovers game and ultimately Sunderland for large spells of the game didn't live up to them. The first half was a entirely forgettable affair. The, you know, quite a rash decision from Lee Burge to come out for that free kick and then obviously quite clumsy giving away the penalty. And, and from then on, Sunderland really struggled to get a foothold until towards the end of the first half. Um, you know, the pace of Brandon Hanlon was causing them a lot of problems. As you said before, Rich, any ball into the box was really, really panicking them. But second half, there were a lot of positives to take. And that's what the kind of message from within the dressing room and, and from out of the Academy of Light has been in the aftermath of the game is, Yes, we drew. Yes, we would have wanted to win. But there's no, you know, I don't think anyone's panicking. Anyone's getting too carried away with one result because there were, especially in the last half hour or so, enough positives, I think, to take to suggest that Sunderland will go on and, and get some more positive results in the near future and will go on and score goals because that was ultimately all that was missing from the game was a couple of goals. You know, obviously, Chris Maguire's took his goal well. They've hit the bar through Max Power. Power's also had one cleared off the line. But Sunderland did create plenty of chances and it was that that Phil Parkinson and indeed Power himself were pointing to after the game was that, yes, we've drawn the game, we would have wanted to win, but we've created plenty of chances and on a different day we would have won. So I think it was underwhelming, it wasn't the result anyone wanted to start with, but I think it's it's far from man in the panic stations at the moment, there's 
45 games to go and, and plenty of time for Sunderland to kind of address those areas that I think, not just on Saturday, but over the last few months, we've seen becoming a real issue in front of goal. And hopefully that starts at Oxford on Saturday. I haven't got any questions left. I have loads I've of questions. covered everything there. I've had a lot to get off my chest. It's been a while since we've done one. Overpowered with your emotion. Um, <laughs> James, what was your view uh, watching the game from, from afar? How how did you find it watching on a stream, first of all, as a Sunderland fan? And it's obviously a very different um, way of watching football that we're all having to get used to. Yeah, it's a bit weird. My stream wasn't the best, to be honest. So I was kind of hopping in between um, the stream provided by the club and then Barnsley and Benno's commentary when it would allow. Um, and then... Stream, then I thought I was going to actually... What, sorry? Are you going to say some kind of a legal stream? Then? No, no, I, w- I would never advocate anything, anything like that. But um, yeah, it's it's difficult as well because you're watching the stream, which is a couple of minutes behind or a couple of seconds behind. But then you you look, you're kind of scrolling on Twitter as well, so the game's almost kind of being spoiled a couple of seconds um, ahead of you. But that's that's the modern world, I suppose, and that's the situation we're in. I thought, you know, it's it's an it's an absolute nightmare scenario for Burge. Really, he's coming into the team replacing John McLaughlin, who's doing exceptionally well at Rangers at the moment. Is almost immediately cemented himself as first choice under Stephen Gerrard, um, and he comes in and does that. And it's concerning because that kind of uh, that kind of mistake will, will spread throughout the defence. It'll make his defenders nervous. It'll make the team in front of him nervous, and you know. Opposition coming up, Oxford and and the likes. In the next few weeks, they're going to look at that and they're going to they're going to start targeting Lee Burge, I would imagine. So that's concerning. I hope he manages to bounce back. But yeah, Mark hasn't really left much to cover. But I think Sullen just need to sharpen up at both ends of the pitch. And um, I think they just they looked a bit nervous. And me and Mark were, were talking before the game, and they looked like they were uh, sorry before the podcast, and they looked like they were trying to force things a little bit. Um, and I think. Sullen just needed somebody to get the foot on the ball and and control things, and they just maybe needed to, maybe needed to chill out and relax a bit, and maybe just take stock of the surroundings, realise that the, there aren't any fans in the ground. Obviously, there's pressure because it's a professional football match, and there's you know people still on the sidelines getting at you and screaming, and you're still getting pressured on the ball. But maybe just take stock and think. Hang on a minute, there's no fans here. We can just maybe ease off and relax a bit. We're a decent side. We're well drilled. Let's just try and get our foot on the ball and play a little bit of football, and the result will come. Let's not try and you know rush everything and panic in the in the first half. Who do you think, Mark, out of the current kind of starting eleven, um, will benefit from playing without any fans there, and who do you think will struggle? Who do you think kind of relies on that fan engagement, and who who kind of cowers a little bit and goes into the shell and struggles? It's a tough one to tell. I think obviously the one everyone will be speaking about is Will Grigg and how he'll perform without the. You know the the kind of belief some have that there's a, there's a real expectation from Sunderland fans that you know I think it is a bit of a myth that probably comes from outside the northeast that there is a belief that Sunderland fans should you know believe their team should be winning you know four five nil every week which I don't think is true I don't think that's what Sunderland fans expect at all but yeah I think Grigg will be an interesting one to watch and and someone I'm sure we'll discuss in in more detail across the rest of the season as as we have done since he signed purely because you know he's not delivered the goal since he came. But he has looked good in pre-season and he has looked good in front of empty stadiums. But you don't know how much of that is to do with the work he's done over pre-season and over the lockdown period because he does look a lot, lot leaner, a lot fitter. So I don't think you can attribute the performances we've seen from Will Grigg just to the fact that he's playing in front of an empty stadium. It was interesting, though, just to touch on what James was saying before about 
Sunderland needing someone to put their foot on the ball and calm it down. And, and there was a bit of a discussion in the press box at that point about whether actually having fans in the stadium of light would have helped to do that if fans had become a little bit exacerbated and a little bit frustrated with the fact Sunderland were forcing it and playing with a probably too much intensity and trying to get it up the field too quickly and, and rushing things. Would that have actually caused them to, to slow it down and to calm down a little bit? Um, obviously, it's a question we'll, we'll never get an answer to, but it's an interesting one to consider. And I think you did see at times on Saturday, you know, there were periods where you could see the Sunderland squad needed a little bit of a lift and perhaps we're, we're expecting that little bit of a lift because they've maybe grown accustomed to it at the Stadium of Light. But it's something they're going to have to get used to, certainly for the, you know, the next couple of weeks and months. You know, I don't think anyone at this moment in time could put a date on when we'll see 30 or 1,000 fans back in the Stadium of Light again. Um, but it'll be an interesting kind of narrative to look at to see which players do well without those fans there and which ones maybe do need that little bit extra encouragement and that little bit extra boost. We've um, got a new columnist at the Sunderland Echo. Um, Gary Rowell has um, decided to uh, hang up his boots after a very long and distinguished columnist career with the Echo. So we thank Gary for his, his time and efforts over the years. Obviously a huge um, club legend and also a, certainly a, a favourite of the Echo. Um, I spoke to him every Monday and he is a, a top, top fella. So thank you, Gary. Um, and stepping into his shoes is uh, Stephen Elliott. Obviously, former Sunderland Man City striker, um, and his column launched this week in the Echo. You can catch it every every Tuesday in the paper and online on a Monday and a Tuesday. Um, and yeah, one of the things he was kind of touching on was that um, Phil Parkinson didn't get the best out of his attacking options or his kind of forward line on Saturday, and that he would potentially have to kind of rethink his system and personnel and stuff because, you know, Will Grigg had had enjoyed a fairly positive preseason, hasn't he? Hadn't he? And um, there was a fair bit of um, optimism going into the game, but yesterday was just, you know, you could have picked that kind of game of performance out of m- most of them over the last 18 months and it kind of would have fitted, wouldn't it, for Will Griggs? So I would think they get the best out of, out of him. It's a tough one because I think in that kind of isolated striker role, he's maybe having to do things which aren't completely natural to him in terms of holding the ball up, running the channels a little bit more. The things that maybe over the last 12 months or certainly under Phil Parkinson, he's maybe struggled with a little bit and is why we haven't seen him in the team. Um, I think, you know, it is no secret that this probably isn't the ideal system for Will Grigg to to thrive in. But what we've seen over the last four or five weeks since Sunderland have come back for pre-season is that he is showing a real willingness to try and adapt himself to play in this system and is doing the things that Phil Parkinson wants him to do. Is that going to bring him goals? Hopefully. But, you know... The kind of concerning thing from the weekend, I guess, in, in regards to Grigg was that he, he didn't get a single shot on target. And that, from your, your number nine, is a little bit worrying. Um, it would be interesting to see in this new kind of system that Sunderland are playing, where it's, it's almost more one attacking midfielder and two up front. And, you know, that was Grigg and O'Brien at the weekend with Maguire behind them, as opposed to when we saw more two attacking midfielders with a lone striker last season whether there would be scope for, for a Charlie Wyke or a Danny Graham to play alongside Will Grigg. And that would be quite an interesting one to see how that would work out. And that would be a real kind of attack-minded strategy from, from Phil Partington. And it's something that we've not particularly seen from him. He's not really played two out-and-out strikers other than when he's been chasing games. I think back to Bristol Rovers in the last game before lockdown when he made a few changes and, and then they ended up playing two up front and... Uh, similarly at the weekend when they were, some of them were chasing the game they went too up front but it's not something we've seen him use from the start and that would be interesting to see if if that would bring the best out of Grigg because I think if you speak to anyone manager, player who's worked with Will Grigg the, the key thing they say is service if you give him the service he will score the goals and at the moment 
I don't think Sunderland are doing that. I don't think they're fully playing to his strengths. And, and it's a kind of conundrum that Phil Parkinson's got to work out, how he can keep the principles of the system that he likes and that he trusts to deliver results while also getting the best out of Will Grigg. Hey, that's a big today, James. Would you would you persist with there, uh, Will Grigg? Yeah, there's no pressure after an elegant response like that, is there? <laughs> would I persist with Will Grigg? Um, based on pre-season, yes. But you kind of regressed again um, at the weekend. It's just such a difficult one because we know that, as Mark says, if he gets the service, he can score goals to get a team out of League One. And, you know, he can even compete internationally in the championship as well on occasion. So it's a really difficult one. But Sunderland have got striking options. I would like to see him up front with somebody. But I think if you do play two up top and then one in behind, you sacrifice a little bit of control in the middle as well. And even with the system, Parkinson players would never seem to really have control of the middle. In fact, I don't think any team in League One ever has any control of the midfield. It seems it's just so frenetic and slap, it's slap so slap dash. I just again to go back to my earlier point, it would just be nice for once to see somebody in a football match in League One just control it and get the get the foot on the ball. But I suppose that doesn't happen in this league, which is frustrating. So in that sense, if that's not going to happen in League One, then is it worth just lobbing two strikers up there? So when you do get the ball in the opposition final third, there's somebody there to stick it in and, and you, you pin the defence back a bit more and maybe try and do the whole, if uh, if you score X amount, we'll score plus one and, and see if that works. But I don't really think that's Phil Parkinson's style unless he's chasing the game, as, as Mark pointed out. So it's the Will Grigg conundrum at Sunderland just seems... Seems to be one that's going to run and run until he gets a, a run of games and he scores a couple, which you don't know when or if it's going to happen, do you really? So, no, you don't. Um, one player who won't be getting his foot on the wall this weekend is uh, George Dobson. He's banned for three games, so we'll serve the first of his matches away at Oxford after seeing red late on in the draw with Um, he could have actually scored, couldn't he? Had a header, was it saved? Cleared off the line, I think, yeah. Um, yeah, he had a head of set not not too long before. I think Sunderland got the equaliser. Yeah, yeah. But generally speaking, I think you know, most people pretty poor performance from him, and he, obviously a lot of fans clamouring for Josh going to start at the weekend. So we'll see if um, Parkinson goes that way, which I mean, I guess he probably would out of the options left. Um, just sort of briefly, Mark, what, what's your take on Dobson? Um, were you surprised that Parkinson started with him or, or not? I think it was a bit of a surprise in a sense because obviously of how Josh Scowen had played in midweek. You know, he was he was excellent against Aston Villa, three assists a goal and, and was probably the best player on the park. You know, he was head and shoulders certainly above anything in the opposition team and was one of Sunderland's real standouts on the night. But it wasn't a huge surprise in the sense that I think we've we've come to learn from Phil Partinson that he has partnerships that he trusts. He obviously has a system that he trusts and he's I don't want to say rigid, but he, he, when he trusts those partnerships and those systems, he, he won't change for change's sake. And I think he's trusted Dobson and Power as a partnership because Dobson's willing to sit and Power pushes on a little bit more, which we've seen in those last few games. And I think the thought process was if Scowen had come in, would he do the same job sitting as, as Dobson had done? Because he, as we saw on t- uh, the Tuesday night against Aston Villa, want, wants to get forward as well. So I think that was the thought process behind Dobson. So it wasn't a huge surprise in that sense. But I think if you were going on form and form alone, it, it would be Scallon. Obviously, now the ball's in his court. He probably is going to start at Oxford. Might get asked to do a slightly different role. He might be asked to do that George Dobson role and sit a little bit more. And it'll be interesting to see how he does. Um, I'm sure fans will be 
be willing him on to to do well and to really state a claim because we've seen now what he can do in that game against Aston Villa. He was, as I say, very, very impressive. But it's one thing doing it in that competition and another doing it in the league. And we've not had a great deal of uh, opportunity to see Josh Scowen in League One. So it'll be a really interesting one to watch on Saturday, presuming, uh, as we kind of expect, that he does get the start. With them, um, we can now to go until um, the transfer window. Well, it's kind of two, two stages, isn't it? So I think it's the 6th of October, isn't it, when the... Um, the first kind of window closes, but then clubs will still have another couple of weeks after that to do business kind of domestically. So pretty much a month or so for Sunderland to um, complete their transfer business so far. Obviously brought in several players and the squad is, I guess, reasonably strong in terms of you know, numbers in, in certain areas and stuff. And there's not a huge amount of flexibility left in terms of the kind of salary cap uh, wages restrictions that clubs are now working under. Obviously, clubs can sign players under 21 that don't contribute towards that. So that might help. You may well see a couple of uh, under 21 or players under the age of 21 kind of arriving who uh, who would play more of a first-team role this season. But um, generally, so sort to of speak, and chaps, James, I'll start with you. Um, what other business in terms of kind of positions do you want to see Sunderland complete over the next month or so? Uh, I guess competition and cover at left-back is a, a key one. Any other areas or... I know, just sort of going back to Stephen Elliott's new column, you know, he was crying out for some sort of pace through the through the final third in particular, and he queried, you know, would Jack Diamond have been a, um, a worthy kind of person on the bench to maybe bring on late on? But would you, do you feel someone need more uh, in terms of kind of pace and in the, those kind of key areas in the transfer window of the next month? Definitely. I think another striker that offers something a bit different would be good, somebody young with pace and power. I know... We've been linked with a couple, but it looks like was it called Bajamich on Bajamich or something? I couldn't pronounce his name. What yeah, was it? from Argentina. It looks like he's off to the MLS. Yeah, it was, uh, championship interest, I think, as well. Recently. Yeah, so he, he, it looks like we've been priced out for a deal because I think that the original bid was five hundred thousand. It looks like he might go for close to a million. Um, I must admit, I didn't know too much about him, but he seemed to fit the bill from what I read in terms of pace and power. <clears throat> I think Sunderland could definitely do with a, a different option up front because Danny Graham and Charlie White are very similar. And as discussed earlier, we don't really know what we're going to get from Will Grigg. So there's that. Um, I think it's at both ends of the pitch as well. I think the, de- the defence looks good, but and I know he's brought in a goalkeeper in Remy Matthews and he's got Lee Burge, but I just I look at that area of the pitch and I'm, I'm worried that over the past couple of years we've been kept in some big games by a really outstanding goalkeeper in John McLaughlin, who did dip in and out of form, it must be said. But he did save Sutherland's bacon and I've never really trusted Lee Burge fully. Obviously, we haven't seen Matthews yet, but he's someone that Parkinson Parkinson trusts through his time at Bolton. But I just don't know if, if either of those are, are quality enough to, to help Sunderland to promotion. And I think you're only as good as your goalkeeper and your striker. I think there's the old adage. And I'm not really sure if, if Sunderland have enough quality at either end to, uh, to get promoted. What's your take on transfer business that needs to be done? Yeah, I think the left-back's the, the pressing area. Um, be an interesting one to see see which way Sunderland go with it in terms of do they bring someone in who is very much going to be an understudy to Denver Hume or do they bring someone in who, who is really, really going to challenge Hume and, and push for that place? Because I think, you know, in in all the kind of concerns that came out of the weekend, I think Denver Hume did have a, a fairly, fairly good game. Um, just on, you know, Bajan Mitchell's obviously been linked, you know, my understanding from... From people over in America is that it does look increasingly likely that he is going to go to Houston Dynamo. I think it was a four-year deal on the table and, and uh, a 
bigger upfront fee and also I think they're due 20% of anything that they Houston will sell him on for in the future. So I think that potentially is now one to kind of chalk off the board a little bit. But I think some pace certainly wouldn't go and miss in the forward line because I think if you look at it was interesting looking at the bench on Saturday because you, you had Wyke and Graham and, and Gooch and people on there and you thought, yeah, we've got some options, but they are just missing that little bit of pace, that little bit of a little bit of excitement. Someone's going to get people off their seats when, of course, they're allowed back in their seats. Um, someone that's going to just stretch teams, give them something different to worry about because I don't want to say something the one-dimensional because they're not, but it's a, it's a completely different thing having a little bit of pace to bring off the bench just something else to concern teams with. And I just don't think something in the, certainly in the forward areas have got a great deal of that at the moment. And it would naturally fit into if they are having to recruit under 21 players, you know, generally speaking, you know, you do find a lot of the pace of your players are towards that age range. So it's certainly one that will be interesting to see what kind of comes, comes up in the future as, as I know a number of managers in the league have stressed, you know, there's still a good month left on the window and you don't know what's going to come up this week, next week or in a month's time. You don't know what players are going to become available as teams have to start naming their 22-man squads, who's going to be left out, who's going to be looking for clubs, which free agents are potentially going to knock down their demands because they can't get a club. So it's an interesting one. I think there's, there's certainly plenty of options for Sunderland. And I think, yeah, other than the left-back area, some, some extra pace and a little bit of flair maybe in the forward areas would, wouldn't go amiss. It'll be interesting to see whether someone get creative or not in the final few weeks of the window in terms of the squad options and salary cap and whether there's one player maybe, aside from Aidan McGeady, obviously he doesn't have a future under Phil Parkinson, but kind of aside from him, whether um, Parkinson looks at one of the players and thinks, you know what, we could probably look to move him on and that would free up X amount of wages to bring in one or two others. Um, I know it's not a huge squad, is anyone kind of that you would think, I don't know, maybe a Maybe a Charlie White or something like that. If a bid came in for him, I know you're a big fan of Charlie White. Man. I know, I was about to jump to Charlie's defence there. Um, I think it's a tough one because even if you could get someone out of the squad, you know, you're still talking about the fact that towards the salary cap, they're counted at the league on average, which is about £91,000 a year. Mm. So then any player that Sunderland would bring in would be counted at their full wage rather than the average. So it's you're talking about having to, even if you moved a player on, you still wouldn't have a, a huge amount of money to, to work with in terms of the salary cap. Yeah, it might make your, your club balance sheet a little bit better if you were moving on a player who was on five £6,000 a week, for example, but you then wouldn't actually have that to spend towards the salary cap because they didn't, their full amount of wage didn't count towards the salary cap in the first place. So it's all these kind of... I know Phil Parkinson alluded to it today in his uh, press conference that it's just there's all these things that they've never had to consider before and all these calculations they're having to make. And well, if we do this, what does this give us? And things like that, that just make it an absolute minefield this summer in terms of bringing players in, which I think is why we can be slightly pleased with some of the business Sunderland did early on in the window. Certainly Aidan O'Brien and Bailey Wright, because if those deals are dragged on even a couple more weeks to when the salary gap wasn't reduced, I don't think it would have been as easy or as straightforward to get them over the line as it was. So yeah, I mean, in terms of who could, who could leave, I think if, you know, I think if any, if offers came in for anyone, they'd probably be considered. I don't think, you know, I'd, I'd be interested to hear James's. Yeah, I'd be interested to hear James's thoughts, but I don't think there's anyone in that team that you would think would would kind of beyond say, you know, sailing, selling that there would be anyone who was, you know, must keep under any circumstances. Obviously, it'll come down to the financials and things, but. Is, is there any player that you would be 
absolutely desperate if a if a decent offer came in to keep it, it it's a tough one and obviously you've all these things to consider but it's an interesting one to consider I think that the only one that I could really think of off the top of my head from a fan's perspective would be Denver Hume because he's come up through the academy possibly yeah. Lyndon Gooch as well but he can be inconsistent and didn't start um, other than that I'm struggling maybe Bailey Wright as well obviously he's just joined the club but saying in January if an offer came him in for him I'd be keen to he uh, keen lost my words here keen to keep hold of him because um, I think as league one centre back score is pretty much as good as you're going to get. So, yeah, those three really, to be honest. Mark, just remind the listeners and me what, what's the crack with them um, loan, loan players and the salary cap and costings? They they do count, don't they, towards them? Yeah, they they do count as is as far as I remember. Like I say, there's that much said about the salary cap that <laughs> you forget they, they they do count. But I think obviously, if you were to get an under twenty one player from the the Premier League, they their wages wouldn't count, but I think any loan fees, I can't remember if loan fees do or don't, but I think certainly wages would. And But if they were an under-21 player, I don't think obviously they would. So if you were to go to a Premier League club and find a 19, 20-year-old who you could take on loan for the season, then they their wages wouldn't count towards the salary cap, which might be an interesting option for, for clubs to explore because there's certainly players that will be wanting football, Premier League clubs, young players that might add a little bit of value. Yeah, and obviously clubs like that, level, I guess, will be tying up exactly who they who they need currently and who they'll be willing to let go. Sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the spot there. Just, no, it's like I say, there's just that many that many salary cap things. So, um, moving on into Oxford, just briefly, um, what would your team be for for Oxford? Um, I think I'd probably swap Scowen and I'd probably just just do that. I think I'd probably get you shown enough just at the minute. I think the warrant to start, but anyone make any further changes? Or would you like to see Neil or Diamond on the bench? Well, there's obviously going to be a a spot on the bench if, you know, with Dobson out, as you say, I'd probably start scouring in his place and then that leaves you a spot on the bench. But you've also got Conor McLaughlin coming back into contention who wasn't on the bench at the weekend. So does he go on the bench? Personally, I think I'd like to see Jack Diamond on there because I think what we were, that discussion we were having about pace, he, he does bring a little bit of that. He brings a little bit of directness, a little bit of excitement and he's a slightly different option off the bench. And, he gives you a little bit of versatility as well. He can play at wing back. He could probably play in that role behind the striker. He could probably play as one of the strikers if you needed him to. So I, I think I'd like to see Jack Diamond on the bench in that kind of space that's been filled by George Dobson's suspension. But other than that, I think it would you'd probably have to go unchanged at this moment in time. I think it'll be interesting in a couple of weeks. You know, we'll talk about Will Grigg, Danny Graham when he's fully match fit. He's, he's obviously a proven quantity at this level and probably will be in contention to start a couple of weeks down the line. But as we find ourselves now, I think that, that spot's very much Will Griggs. James, what would your, your team be? Would you make any further changes in that? Uh, I would just have Scowen in and then I would definitely have Diamond on the bench um, with a view to giving him maybe the last 30, regardless of what's happening, just to, just to see if he can cut it in League One, essentially, and start giving him a few minutes because... We'll talk about pace and power, and he's potentially someone that can provide that, as Stephen Elliott said, and as Mark's touched upon, and, and yourself as well, Rich. I think it's given Parkinson's rhetoric recently um, over Aidan McGeady and that he wants to give young players a chance in the, in the squad over the likes of Aidan McGeady, who maybe don't, well, he does, certainly doesn't feel that he, uh, McGeady warrants a place in his plans, then he needs to possibly put his money where his mouth is in, in that regard, because there was a few comments from fans on Twitter kind of dragging 
Parkinson's words up a couple of from a couple of weeks ago saying that he was going to give youth a chance and whatnot. And obviously it's still very early days in the season, plenty of games to give youth a chance, but it wasn't unnoticed by Sunderland fans that the likes of, of Neil and, and Diamond, which is great to say on a podcast, by the way, Neil Diamond um, weren't given a weren't given a spot in the in the squad. I don't, I don't think that went unnoticed at all. Good stuff. Thank you very much. Thanks, chaps. Um, Mark, I know you've got uh, an interview lined up, so uh, we'll call it, a, call it a day then. But I think we've pretty much spoken about the major talking points. Um, so, yeah, our uh, weekly podcast, Raw, will be back uh, back end of next week. Hopefully, we'll talk about the positive performance and victory at Oxford and looking ahead to the uh, visit of Peterborough United next weekend as well. Um, so, please head to the Sun and Echo website throughout the week for... Um, for all your latest Sunderland news across the board and expert analysis and opinion and as I say we've got Stephen Lord now as a new columnist which is great and there's also full details there in terms of how to apply sorry how to subscribe for our new sport only subscription package with listen to reader feedback um, you know we appreciate obviously some people don't don't want to kind of have all the news they just kind of want the Sunderland, Sunderland content so hopefully that'll um, that'll look appeal to uh, to quite a few of you so uh, we'd encourage you to have a look at that thanks to james and three points oxford and we'll be back next week thank you